Please welcome the President of the United States and Dr. Jill Biden. Welcome to hell, and welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum. This is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And there's a lot to talk about this week. Let's get right to it. You've seen Joe Biden's speech. You're going to see more of it. I don't know who the stage director is here, but somebody thought it was a good idea to light and stage this presentation as if it were a Broadway play about a South American dictator. Blood red lights on Independence Hall, Joe Biden and Dr. Jill Biden, flanked by Marines. How is that appropriate? It's not appropriate. What it is, is a visual threat just like Joe Biden's veiled and implied threats to use F-15s or military artillery against citizens who support the Second Amendment or who support his political opponents. As Kevin and I were getting ready to do the show this week, we talked about how best to frame this segment about this speech. And it was, it was kind of difficult because The question that's always on our mind is, how does the content that we share with you relate to the underlying idea behind this show, that abuse dynamics, abuse psychology, cluster B personality, disorder behaviors, traits, um, inform the world that we're living in and it has become normalized. And there's so much of it here, it's almost almost too obvious to point out, but I'm going to do my best. Let's take a look at the first clip here. Now in our time, as we build an America that is more prosperous, free and just, that is the work of my presidency, a mission I believe in with my whole soul. But first, we must be honest with each other and with ourselves. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Now, I want to be very clear, very clear up front. Not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. I know, because I've been able to work with these mainstream Republicans. 
But there's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. Slush slur. Slush slur. What did they have him on? Adderall? Something else? Because you know he's on some sort of drug or stimulant to get through these things because he can't keep it up. You'll see when we get to the end of this. Some of what I'm going to point out is going to be obvious to many of you out there, especially those of you who've watched the show from the beginning, but it won't be obvious to everybody. So I'm going to try to hit it all. Joseph Biden is positioning himself. First of all, let me back into it this way. The word to remember in watching all of this is reversal. Reversal of the truth. Dark for light, bitter for sweet. Reversal is probably one of the most fundamental characteristics of an abuse dynamic or a person whose psychology is disordered, whose character is disordered in a way that we label cluster B. This is going to be full of reversal. So the first thing he's doing is reversing the truth. He says, what's going on is not normal. No, it's not normal. But what's not normal is this. It's you, Joe Biden. It's your administration. This speech is not normal. Trump and what he calls MAGA Republicans, represent extremism. What are MAGA Republicans? What specifically is a MAGA Republican? And what specifically is extremism? And notice how Joe Biden insists on telling you that he's the one telling you the truth. Anybody who goes out of their way to tell you that they're telling you the truth probably isn't telling you the truth. MAGA stands for Make America great again. That's the plain meaning. And I agree with the plain meaning of that phrase. Whatever devils you want to attach to that, whatever moral sins you want to attach to it, to accrete around it so that it seems emotionally contaminated, if you can leave that aside, make America great again, yes. I would like to see America be great again. And there are ways to do that that are honest, and that take advantage, not take advantage, take account of our strengths, our weaknesses, what we have uniquely that is a force for good and what we have that, uh, that we need to work on. We don't have to be jingoistic, narcissistic Americans who go around telling everybody. I, I, I really dislike this, even though I've had um, sort of a conversion to more conservative points of view. I really don't like hearing we're the greatest country in the world. It's, it's, it's too over the top. We don't have to do that. We can be great without doing that. Next clip, please, Kevin. MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. They refuse to accept the results of a free election. And they're working right now, as I speak, in state after state, to give power to decide elections in America to partisans and cronies, empowering election deniers to undermine democracy itself. Reversal, again. They're thwarting the will of the people, or are they thwarting your will to power? He keeps using the word democracy. He's characterizing our country as, as a democracy. We are not a democracy. We are not a democracy. We have never been a democracy. 
I don't want us to be a democracy. He's characterizing his point of view as the will of the majority, the will of the mob. That is democracy. Democracy is majority slash mob rule. We live in a republic. We live in a constitutional republic that specifically restrains the authority of the federal government and restrains the mob specifically in order to protect the interests of the minority or the dissidents. We live in a republic, not a mob. And he claims that MAGA Republicans are trying to fix the election. Really, fix the election for their cronies. These are people who are trying to ask questions about election integrity, which we haven't been allowed to do. Although the Democrats spent the entirety of Trump's presidency calling him an illegitimate president and saying that he stole the election without any evidence. But when we say, hmm, this doesn't look right, Hmm, how is it that 100,000 more ballots, all for one candidate, came in right at midnight? We are called crazy. We are told that our questions constitute election fixing, reversal, lying, lying. Cluster B is lying. Next clip, please. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards, backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. They promote authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, to the pursuit of justice, to the rule of law, to the very soul of this country. <laughs> Imagine being Joe Biden and invoking the concept of a soul. It's hilarious. No right to choose. He can't even say the word abortion. Strange. No right to privacy. Oh, that's awfully rich coming from the left. No right to contraception. Bitch, please. No one is trying to overturn Griswold versus Connecticut. This is ridiculous. No right to marry who you love. <laughs> Do you hear that almost? You better love Daddy Biden or the bad MAGAs are going to gay divorce ya. Got it? This is very typical Cluster B. And you know what it's like? It's like the narcissistic lover, the narcissistic husband. No one will ever love you like I do. No one will ever understand you like I do. You will never have a better quality of life. And you'll never have love the way you have with me. Don't listen. It's a trap. They promote authoritarian leaders. He says, no, 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 Mr. Biden, that's you. Donald Trump demonstrated in his objective record, you can look at the record, okay, that he was nowhere near an authoritarian. I thought he was going to be an authoritarian, and I spent the first couple of years of his presidency insisting that he was an authoritarian, and I had absolutely no evidence to base that on except my emotions, my dislike of him personally. It wasn't true. Joe Biden is simply doing, nah, you are, nah, you are, nah, you are. That's cluster B. That's reversal. That's lying. They fan the flames of political violence. What about Black Lives Matter? What about BLM burning American cities, burning government buildings around this country with abandoned impunity and applause during 2020? With Vice President Kamala Harris offering to give 
offering to give bail and encouraging people to to contribute to the bail for these criminals so they could be sprung from jail. We're we the ones with questions. We the ones with a more conservative point of view are fanning the flames of political violence. Okay, what about what about the murders and vandalism that Antifa has brought to cities across this country that you do absolutely nothing about? Andy No reports on it all the time, and you see these people who hit somebody over the head with a baseball bat, who bear spray them in their eyes, who do all sorts of violent things, who start fires in buildings. You see them being booked, and these goddamn district attorneys spring them the next day, most of the time without any bail. But it's us who is the problem. Is that so? And, and really, really, political violence like what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, insurrection, insurrection. The only political violence that happened on January 6th was when that Capitol Police thug goon officer shot and killed the unarmed Ashley Babbitt in broad daylight. That is political violence. That is political assassination. And he faces zero consequences. This next clip is particularly perverse. I believe America is at an inflection point. One of those moments that determine the shape of everything that's to come after. And now America must choose to move forward or to move backwards, to build a future or obsess about the past, to be a nation of hope and unity and optimism or a nation of fear, division, and of darkness. MAGA Republicans have made their choice. They embrace anger. They thrive on chaos. They live not in the light of truth, but in the shadow of lies. <laughs> but together, together we can choose a different path. We can choose a better path forward to the future. A future of possibility, a future to build and dream and hope. And we're on that path moving ahead. <laughs> no, we're not. Obsessed about the past? That's you and yours, Joe. That's your party. Your party is the one pretending that blacks in the United States still live in the antebellum South, that women have no rights, and that gays and trannies are being slaughtered in the streets. That's your lie. You, not me, not us. He sicked the FBI on Trump's house in Florida for no good reason, and he accuses conservatives of wanting political violence. What you did to Donald Trump is political violence, you ambulatory corpse. Next one. I will not stand by and watch. I will not the will of the American people be overturned by wild conspiracy theories and baseless evidence-free claims of fraud. I will not stand by and watch elections in this country stolen by people who simply refuse to accept that they lost. This quote has been attributed to Joseph Goebbels, the minister of propaganda for the Nazi party. I don't know if it originated with him. It's been attributed to other people as well, but it is apt nonetheless. Quote, Always accuse the other side of that which you are guilty of. That's another way of saying the big lie. That's how it works. It's so brazen. It's so contradictory to the truth 
that hearing it shocks normal people and it shocks them so deeply that they first believe they must be crazy or they must have missed something because surely no one could tell an untruth that directly contradictory to reality. But they can and they do, and that is why they do it. The other side refuses to accept that they lost. What a joke. What a joke. We didn't get anywhere near a reasonable accounting and audit of the 2020 elections, and we're never going to. We're never going to. <laughs> Let's watch him and Dr. Jill Biden bring this to a close. God protect our, our nation, and may God protect all those who stand watch over our democracy. God bless you all. Democracy. Thank you. Mob, thank you. Look at him. He has no idea where he is. Where's my pudding? There's my pudding. <laughs> As they walk off into the, I was going to say the sunset, but the hellscape. You know, <laughs> I think it's peanut butter jelly time for Jill and Joe. What do you think? <laughs> Break down and breathe. All right. <laughs> I told Kevin that this was not going to be a funny episode, and it's not, but <laughs> what else are you going to do? You know what else is gross? I didn't clip this for the show, but you guys can see it. You can go online and confirm it for yourself. CNN's feed um, of this 27-minute speech you can watch CNN's um, camera techs or control room techs over the course of about 20 seconds. You can watch them very slowly slide the color temperature filter so that this blood red background, it was blood red in real life, looked a little too scary. They started shifting it over to pink. It took about 20 seconds. They did it real slow, but you can watch them do it. And you can see that they're doing it because his skin turns pink and the stripes, um, both the white and the red stripes on the American flag take on a strange hue and tint. This is fascism. That's the definition of fascism. This is government and business working in lockstep against the people. Nobody will pay a price for that either. And I wanted to show you this. This, this quick reaction, you remember... Um, the Washington Post, Jennifer Rubin, that authoritarian who calls herself a conservative. Here's what she said. Biden's Philadelphia speech met the moment. Mass arrests should come next. Should they? Well, this bitch thought better of it because she immediately deleted it. And I want to say thank you to Rod Dreher for catching it and screen capping it before she memory hold it. In trying to figure out what to say about this and what the most important lessons were, I sat down and wrote an essay for Substack, and I'm going to read it to you. You know the phrase, fascism begins in the home. Some people might write that off as worthless because it's a phrase that we hear hard leftists use a lot. But I'd like to ask you, if you're thinking of that, I'd like to ask you to reconsider. Because the, the phrase has real truth value, despite its overuse by the left. 
The left empties useful terms of their meaning all the time by overusing them, misusing them, or using them perversely. And an example of using them perversely is the classic narcissistic reversal. I'm going to give you three examples. Example one, labeling the mutilation and removal of healthy body parts from children as care or affirming care. Example two, labeling public disagreement with one's own bullying behavior as abuse and saying that objecting to being bullied causes the bully trauma. And you do hear this all the time. C.F. Taylor Lorenz. Example number three, consciously lying in such a way as to make onlookers question reality and question what's in front of them while accusing those onlookers of gaslighting for objecting to the fact that the original party is in fact gaslighting. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's I don't know, what is the word for this? Recursive or a boros? I don't know what it is. It's all reversal. You can imagine many more examples of this um, on your own. This is how the left takes terms away from us. And this has left many people unwilling to use these terms for fear that they will be perceived to be speaking in an emotionally manipulative way, the way the hard left does. But there is an additional problem. We're not only stopping using these words, we start treating the concepts that these words refer to as themselves not real, as, as if these things weren't actually happening. And, and, and it happens unconsciously. It's not, it's not something that happens in the front of our brains. We are less likely to be able to hear or to credit genuine cases of trauma, such as rape, child abuse, torture. We're less likely to recognize gaslighting and much less likely to point it out and label it in public because we're afraid of how we're going to be perceived. Joe Biden's red sermon, as some have called it the other night, is a demonstration of the thesis of this show. And here is that thesis. Number one, cluster B character disorders, narcissism, emotional instability, manipulation, pathological lying, false claims of victimhood. These are the common denominator mindset that animates almost all domestic child abuse and neglect. Number two, Cluster B, as the animating force in domestic abuse, is also the animating force in public and political abuse. Number three, when this disordered character type is found in public and found in politics, found in institutions, we use different names. We might call such people authoritarians, demagogues, megalomaniacs, etc. Number four, and when we see this behavior in certain other groups, we call them a cult, or we say that they have a cult mindset. Many of us are misled, and we believe that all of these, quote, different forms of abusive behavior are different things that come from different places. They're not different things. They come from the same place. To a close approximation, all of the following terms I'm going to read to you are synonyms for each other. They are describing the same thing, the same psycho-spiritual derangement. Cluster B, fascistic, cult tactics, cancel culture, demagoguery, megalomania, dictatorship.
it should be easy to see this in President Biden's speech. Now, I want to tell you a couple of my prior assumptions for what I'm going to say about um, what I'm going to say in a moment. These are things that I believe are true after I've done a lot of consideration. I don't guarantee that they're true. And if it turns out later that they're false, I will change my mind and I will change my mind in public. But yes, I think I've seen a preponderance of evidence that convinces me that the following are likely true. Number one, Joe Biden is a clinical narcissist and a liar. Number two, Joe Biden abused and neglected his children, it appears to me, in multiple ways and in many ways that we will not ever know about. Number three, the very fact that his own son is a crack addict and he appears to have videotaped sexual encounters with prostitutes and what appear to be minor children, that itself is a very strong indicator of parental abuse and neglect in the Biden home, as in the home, in society. Number four, to me there is convincing evidence that Joseph Biden did indeed behave in a sexually abusive way to minor girl children in his family. We need only note his own daughter Ashley's diary entries in which she says that he showered with her at too old an age and then asked herself if that meant she was sexually abused. And if the events that she describes in her diary took place, yes, she was sexually abused. But Joe Biden's main job today is not family patriarch, it's president of the United States. And Cluster B looks a little bit different when it walks onto the political stage and leaves home. It often looks a lot like this. This image, the blood red lighting drenching Independence Hall with Biden under a spotlight and his arms raised up like this, like Mussolini, like Juan Perón. Yes, it's a still image plucked from video, but I think it's a fair image. I think it's a fair summary and an accurate summary of what we're seeing. It's not a case of, oh, well, they're making him look bad. It's a case of him and his team, probably mostly his team, because he isn't there really, staging himself as a dictator. That is their choice. They did this. They chose this. And I think that commenters are correct and fair to distill that into that one compelling visual image. Everyone listening to this knows what Joe Biden said. He characterized Republican voters. He claims he didn't. He claims he didn't. But you have to read for implication, not just on the surface. He characterized Republican voters and citizens as crazed, dangerous, anti-American, and worse. Much like the authorities were calling parents objecting at school boards to the gender indoctrination terrorists. No American president has ever rhetorically attacked this country's citizens in this way. Certainly never in a way that groups fully 50% of the population into the conceptual category, terrorist. This is fascism. This is demagoguery. This is a vicious strongman tactic that does evoke Mussolini. This is authoritarianism. This is the dictator's stance. This is Cluster B. And it started at home. We'll see you after the break.
For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell. We now have a bonus for our supporters. You can help the Disaffected podcast grow and receive invitations for our off-air Zoom hangouts by becoming a supporting member on Patreon or Subscribestar. Patreon users, go to patreon.com slash disaffected. Subscribestar users, you can find us at subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Check out our webpage at disaffected.fm for the complete list of ways you can help support us, and thank you. Welcome back. You know, the past two shows have been done from my sister's living room, of course, because I was on the road. My sister is recovering, for those of you who are are wondering. Thank you for your good wishes. And I can't remember which one of you put this comment on YouTube, but it made me laugh so hard. I was sitting in my bed reading it, and I just started cackling. And my housemate was asking me what's so funny. goes, we were promised jacket. Because, <laughs> you know, I've been lying to you. I, I was all... I always dress formally because I really look like a professional, and then I just come on in a T-shirt for like three weeks in a row. So I'm giving you the promised jacket, okay? You like this jacket? Yeah. Yeah, you do, don't you? Dirty boys and girls. <laughs> All right. That's enough funny. Trans. It's trans. You know, countries in the Western world like the UK and the Netherlands are backtracking on what they've been doing to children. They are abandoning the so-called affirmative care approach that says if a child says that he is born in the wrong body, then he gets puberty blockers and he gets cross-sex hormones and he gets affirmed and happy clappied. England just closed its um, children's gender meat grinder that it called the Tavistock Clinic, as a matter of fact. But you wouldn't know this in the United States because the media won't let you know it. Just like Joseph Biden's reversals of victim and perpetrator, classic narcissistic technique, U.S. mainstream media wants to paint a target on the backs of Americans who are trying to save children from medical mutilation. Last week, the social media account Libs of TikTok that actually reposts the insane and deranged liberal activists in school teaching positions, in hospitals, in pediatricians' offices, She got children's hospitals on tape admitting that their hospitals do, in fact, perform, quote, gender-confirming hysterectomies, that is, cosmetic removal of the uterus from minor children. This is on tape. It's, It's a fact. You don't have to believe me. You may hear it for yourself. It happened. It's true. It's just as true as the fact that the sun comes up every morning, but not in America and not for NPR. Take a look at what NPR had to say about this in their tweet. Hospitals and doctors around the country are facing harassment over the medical care they offer to transgender kids. The harassment campaigns are organized online, raising questions about what role social media platforms should play in preventing abuse. (laughs) Fuck you, NPR. 
<laughs> Look at that. The objections, the objectors, the objection to abusing children, that is what constitutes abuse. Not chopping their tits off, not chemically castrating them, not psychologically lying to them, but objecting to that abusive behavior is the actual abuse. God, this makes me sick. It's so perverse that the only word that, that actually fits is satanic. And I'm not even a believer. So, Libs of TikTok got suspended from Twitter. I heard just this morning she's back on there. Um, she won't be for long, I'm sure. NPR took after the woman behind the Libs of TikTok account, calling her a perpetrator of abuse, along with commentator Matt Walsh. For the media, everyone who objects to child abuse only objects to child abuse because they're, quote, extreme right-wingers. Yes, that's right. Violent extreme people are well-known to be objectors of, to child abuse. They're well-known to be children's advocates. Violent people are. Here's what Matt Walsh had to say. Last night, thousands of idiot leftists were absurdly blaming me in libs of TikTok for a, quote, bomb threat at Boston Children's Hospital. Today, the story has disappeared because police quickly determined the whole thing was a false alarm. I don't expect we'll get any apologies, though. Correct, Matt. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Boston Children's Hospital claimed to have received a bomb threat. It was all over the news. It's still all over the news. I went and checked uh, news aggregators last night. That's still the headline, that they got a bomb threat. But they didn't. Matt Walsh talked about this on his show. The police arrived and left Boston Children's Hospital in 40 minutes, calling it a false alarm. That is not the headlines you will see right now if you go on the news aggregators. That, that never happened. The false alarm part never happened. Boston children got a bomb threat, got a bomb threat, got a bomb threat. Do you know what a false alarm means in this context? It doesn't mean, yes, someone called and said there was a bomb, but there wasn't. That's not what it means. It means no one actually made a bomb threat. They received no such call. It didn't happen. So the story is instantly dropped from the media. The original stays up. They're not going to say any more about it. But they're going to make sure the original stays up. You want to talk about stochastic terrorism? That's a term that you've been hearing lately. It basically means random, uncoordinated, violent actions that are provoked by inflammatory rhetoric. So, you know, you it, it's not like direct incitement. It's It's poisoning the well, poisoning the atmosphere, giving social permission to bad actors to act out. That's what the accusation of stochastic terrorism means. That's what they call conservatives. But this, this right here, this false story, that itself is stochastic terrorism. I'm going to talk about this later in the show. We're going to talk about, well, did or did I already talk about it? Yeah, uh, I'm probably going to talk about it again. We have to be able to take these terms back from the people who are misusing them. Don't throw out this idea. Whether you want to call it stochastic terrorism or not, fine. But don't throw out the concept. Don't think the concept is fake because it's been misused. Don't do that because it is not fake. It's real and it's being used against you right now. Here's more from NPR. Quote, 
Hospitals and doctors around the country are facing harassment and even death threats over the medical care they offer to transgender kids. In many cases, they have been the subject of posts by a Twitter account called Libs of TikTok, as well as stories in conservative media outlets casting gender-affirming care as child abuse and mutilation. Casting gender-affirming care as child abuse and mutilation. Yeah, we're putting a gloss on it. We're trying to make a beautiful thing into something disgusting. We're just casting a pall on it. NPR, pay attention to me. Here, eyes here. Look at your screen. This is gender-affirming care. That's a picture of a skinned forearm where all the skin has been taken off. Picture on the right, for those of you listening, is a young woman, naked, shown only on the torso. Her vulva is exposed and something that quite literally looks like a snuffleupagus snout attached below her belly button that we are supposed to believe is a penis. You want more? This, too, is gender-affirming care. That's eight pictures of skinned young women's arms. They call it gloving the arm, pulling all the skin off to reveal the ligaments and the musculature because they need the skin to make a Franken penis. That's gender affirming care. This is also gender affirming care. And this is a montage of different kinds of gender affirming care. We have phalloplasty with the skinned arm. We have what they cutesy call top surgery, which means slicing breasts off. We have a picture of two young women who've had both of their breasts sliced off along with the nipples and areola, and they have a literal Frankenstein stitch scar horizontally across their chest. Want to know what else is gender affirming care? This is gender affirming care. This is from UVA surgery, and it's got a before and after photograph. And on the left, is a beautiful, healthy female bust with well-formed, healthy breasts. And on the right is the after, with the Frankenstein scar all the way from left to right. No nipples, no areolas. Let me tell you in their words what they're offering. Non-binary chest flattening without nipple reconstruction. Non-binary individual with the surgical goal of a gender-neutral Boyish flat chest without nipples or areoli. Three-week post-operative photos are shown. Drains have been removed. Surgical glue is still visible along the incision. Doesn't that sound like luxury care to you? NPR also has this to say. Quote, Accusations of grooming are the latest political attack with homophobic origins. Children's Hospital... Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C., became the most recent target this week when Libs of TikTok posted an audio recording in which hospital staff appeared to say that gender-affirming hysterectomies had been performed on minors. The hospital said the claim was incorrect and that none of the people recorded deliver care to patients. This is not homophobic. It's not a political attack. It's a desperate attempt to save children from monsters like you. Next quote from NPR. The information in the recording is not accurate. We do not and have never performed gender-affirming hysterectomies for anyone under the age of 18, Children's National said in a statement to NPR. The operator speaking provided wrong information. I don't believe you. You're lying. 
Besides, you do put them on puberty blockers, minor children. You do put them on cross-sex hormones, which leads to sterilization and other life-altering and life-shortening complications. You already abuse children. You already abuse them, whether you're ripping their uteruses out or not. Your goal, the very thing that you go to work every day to do, is to torture mentally and physically to handicap children for the rest of their goddamn lives. That's what you do. That's your job. That's what you take pride in. Quote, Some of the claims about Children's National, Boston Children's and other hospitals were pushed by the libs of TikTok. You hear how they're making her the enemy, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. The libs of TikTok account, which regularly reposts videos and social media posts from LGBTQ people, teachers, schools, and other institutions. The clips are sometimes taken out of context and framed to fuel outrage or ridicule of LGBTQ and anti-racist causes in what the account owner has described as exposés of the, quote, crazies. She described it accurately. Okay. NPR, what context makes Mengele surgery okay? What context makes chemical castration of children okay? What context makes lying to children and inducing trauma disorders in them okay? What context makes any of this other than what it is, which is evil? You have no answer to this. NPR and the mainstream media would see decent people silenced or frankly dead in order that children may continue to be vivisected and put back together as Frankenstein creations made into grotesques. And I've said before repeatedly that this stuff is everywhere. And it is everywhere. Sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder if, if how many people out there who might listen, not just to me, but to anyone who talks about this um, on a show, I wonder if they don't believe us. If they still think, it, well, it's really just happening in progressive areas or it's just a few wacky liberal arts schools. Because constantly you see people on social media who see this and, and they see the child abuse that it is and and their first reaction is to say, where is child protective services? And in a normal and sane era, I could understand that, but we're not there anymore. This is where child protective services is. I'm going to show you where they are. This is from a post on Front Porch Forum in Vermont. Post title. Fostering, that is foster care of children, fostering is one of the best things you'll ever do. This is a post by Burlington Family Services, the State Department for Children and Families. That's your child protective services. Let me read you the ad copy. Quote, as long as she could remember, Astrid wanted to be a dancer, but her family had no money for dance classes. They didn't even have a place to live at times. So when she met Corbin, Astrin was over the moon. Corbin took dance lessons at a private dance academy. She had a cool duffel bag with ballerinas on it and the best ballet slippers ever. Corbin wasn't like the other girls. 
she didn't seem to be afraid of anything. And when sometimes she got teased for being transgender, Astrid was right there to defend her. When Astrid confided in Corbin that she sometimes wasn't always confident because her family didn't have much, Corbin said, I know how that feels. Corbin told Astrid that she was in foster care and that her birth family also struggled, and sometimes their struggle made her feel even more different than being trans did. I know who I am, Corbin said, but I don't always know who my family is going to be. Jesus Christ. That's when Astrid and Corbin became true best friends. They just got each other, and ballet was only a part of their bond. Here's the last part. Every child and teen who enters foster care has a story. They have a loss and longing, and they don't always feel as if they blend in. To want to provide a safe, stable home for a child means you have to be willing to accept the whole child, life experiences and all. Uh You have to be willing to accept the whole child. How perverse. Let me translate that into the truth for you. You have to be willing to accept the psychically fragmented child. You have to be willing to accept that the child needs to be sterilized and further cut up. You have to be willing to accept a disgusting lie that this child was born in the wrong body. And you have to help make it permanent, prospective foster parent. You have to repeat the lie. You must further entrench that child's trauma the trauma that they are trying to escape from in the home they've been removed from. You must lift the child out of the frying pan and place her directly onto the hot coals until she burns to death. And if you don't want to do it, don't be a foster parent. Abuse a child today. Burlington operators are standing by. That's where Child Protective Services is. Okay, we're, we're coming up on a break here. Will you help us? We need your support. It costs money to do this. We are not that popular. We're not saying popular things. And there's going to come a time, you know we've been banned from Twitter permanently. We're not going back. There might come a time when YouTube is going to do that to us as well. So I want to remind you, look on free speech platforms like Rumble and Odyssey. But if you want to help us keep doing this, and I want to keep doing this, and I think that you do, will you please chip in? Two ways, three ways to do it, actually. You can go to patreon.com slash disaffected to subscribe. You can go to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Or if you want to give a one-off, one-time gift, very gratefully accepted. Um, Open up your PayPal and send it to this email address, us at disaffected.fm. We'll see you on the other side. For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell. Patreon users, go to patreon.com slash disaffected. 
Subscribestar users, you can find us at subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Check out our webpage at disaffected.fm for the complete list of ways you can help support us. And thank you. Welcome back. I would like to talk about Jordan Peterson. I've been wanting to talk about him in more detail for a while. I have genuine respect for Jordan Peterson. I believe that he is the genuine person that I perceive him to be. I trust that he has a moral compass. I don't think he's perfect. I think he makes mistakes like all humans do. But I do trust him that he cares about his mistakes and he tries to correct them. I think he is a good man. I don't say that about a lot of people. I could be wrong, but that's what I think. And I want to disclose my bias to you so you understand why I'm talking about this. Part of why I relate to Jordan Peterson is because I am, in some ways, like him. I share some of his traits. Like him, and he said this in his own words about himself, like him, I have some more female-typical psychological traits. I'm higher in negative emotionality than the average man. I'm a depressive. I cry easily and sometimes often. But like Jordan Peterson, I am a man. And in many ways, many other ways, I have a male typical temperament. Heavy on the aggressive and confrontational side, admittedly. Yes. Part of why I trust Jordan Peterson is because he interrogates himself and he does it in public. He opens himself up to critique. But I believe that that is also one of his weaknesses. I believe that he is sometimes vulnerable to manipulative people who claim to have his best interests at heart, but who do not. I think he's too nice sometimes. I think he believes people who claim that they want to improve him as a person when they actually want something very different. His recent podcast episode he titled Apologia about mean tweets and social media behavior. This episode is his good faith effort at being held accountable by his friends and being held accountable in public. But he got rolled. I realize that if Jordan Peterson knew who I was and, and listened to this, he'd probably disagree and he might even get angry. But as an outside observer, all I can go on is what I see. I don't know. Um, I don't know these people in real life, right? Obviously. I believe that Jordan Peterson thinks that some people are his friends who are not his friends. I think they use typical leftist, feminized, leftist, emotional blackmail. They play on his sense of personal compassion when it's not appropriate. And they do this to distract him, to silence him, and yes, in a sense, to politically neuter him. We're going to show you some clips from this recent episode. And he's with two other gentlemen. One is Jonathan Pajot. I don't know very much about him. I think Jonathan Pajot is more conservative. He's an artist. Um, and the other is uh, his friend Greg Hurwitz. And Greg Hurwitz is, a, I believe, a thriller novelist. And I'm not exactly sure, but has some connection to consulting with, um, with Democratic Party concerns, I believe. Um, so to set this up, because this, this is an hour and a half long, and if you're interested in this, you should watch the whole thing. You might come away from this with a very different take than I do. Um, but we're just going to show you a little bit. And 
in this, a uh, couple of Jordan's more famous recent social media posts were featured. One of them was the one about the Sports Illustrated cover with the obese model Numi Yu. And that was the one where he said, sorry, Sports Illustrated, not beautiful. And of course, everyone started screaming, mainly women, mainly women calling him a misogynist. The other one was about um, then prospective Supreme Court Justice nominee, uh, Ketanji Jackson Brown. And that was the one in which Peterson, in my view, correctly pointed out that the Biden administration had made it clear that they were only going to choose a black woman. They were not going to consider anyone but a black woman, that it was all identity politics. And one of the phrases that Jordan used in his tweet was, well, she looks the part. And I believe he was right. She did look the part. She looked the way they needed her to look because they said, we gonna have a black woman. It's true. Sorry. It's true. So mainly here, Greg Hurwitz, the liberal, is the one who takes Jordan to task. And there's a lot of worry about tone. Let's roll the first clip, please, Kevin. It's funny because I think one of the issues is that I think even for you, this Greg, is Jonathan is that everybody feels like you have a role to play. And I think a lot of this is playing up against this role because you are this catalyst for transformation. You have been this catalyst for transformation. And everybody kind of sees that. And when they see you straying from that role, one way or another, they're wondering what's going on. And I, sometimes I think people forget that you're a person that also slips and slides and messes up and, and does Especially on Twitter. Especially, especially <laughs> on Twitter. But there is nonetheless a reality about the fact that you do seem to play some kind of role. And, and, and that if, so it's good to talk about it. And I think well, people are listening to right. That's right. And that role should be flexible. And part of it for me is that the role that this you're is Greg playing has become too rigid in certain ways. And it doesn't That's match. the danger. Yeah, and it doesn't match my conception of you, and it doesn't match what I think is strategically the best use of your talent and insight. Okay, that... Uh doesn't it doesn't match my view of you and the best use of your talent and insight we're going to come back to that theme um i haven't made my argument yet but i'll just tell you right up front um i don't believe greg i don't think he's honest um next clip please but your ear is not tuned to things that to language that you're using and how it translates and in some ways part of why i'm talking to you is by dint of our relationship in some ways i think i might be the best point of contact for what everybody to the left of you thinks mm -hmm. Yeah, right. I think that's true. And so, I, and right now, like everybody to the left of you is does not have a high view of where you are and what you're doing. Okay. There's going to be more of that. This, again, my point of view, outside observer, I'm just a viewer. This conversation is about what who Greg needs Jordan Peterson to be in order for Greg's friends and colleagues to find Greg respectable. I don't think this is the best use of your talent and insight. Nonsense, Greg. Jordan's goals, Jordan Peterson's goals, do not have to be having people to the left of me have a high view of me. He's not obligated to have that as a goal. You, Greg Hurwitz, may have that as a goal. I don't think, I, th I think it's an expectation that you are quite cheeky, as a matter of fact, to have it all, but you may have it. Jordan doesn't have to. That doesn't have to be his goal. 
His goal doesn't even have to be to persuade leftists. He, that might be his goal, but it doesn't have to be. Morality doesn't demand that it be his goal. Next clip, please, Kevin. What happens in part with your responses, to my mind, is it starts to be dehumanizing about the other side, not in yeah. a soft, liberally sense, but meaning you start to talk about the, the left as a monolith. And it's like, it's not a monolith yeah. any more than when you say, and we should start with Justice Jackson. Ah, okay. I guess I cut these into two. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about his tweet about Justice Jackson. And, well, let's just roll right into it, Kevin. I mean the foolish racist. I yeah, mean I the, fool, and the, the triumphant racist. racist. But what yeah. I'll say is you don't have that and you don't what? understand it with race in America. And yet you blithely trotted in and you did so in a way that was denigrating that if I didn't know you, I would think was a racial slur. Okay. <sighs> the foolish racist. I mean the foolish racist. What Greg is saying here. Um, actually, I'm going to take. We're having. We're going to do a little technical thing right in front of you guys. Uh, Kevin, I don't know if I forgot to. Uh, I was expecting a different audio clip to precede this. Uh, if we have one called C4, so let's talk through. Uh, I'd like to play that one too because it it comes into this. But the um, <clears throat> the accusation here that Jordan comes off like a racist because he made an observation about the fact that this woman looked the part because she had the skin color. Um, I just. I, I don't believe Greg. I don't believe that. How do I want to say this? I don't think this is genuinely about, I think you said something that's racist or um, that reasonable people would think is racist. I think this is Greg Hurwitz trying to maneuver Jordan's words into seeming racist because he doesn't want him to say the things that he's saying. I don't think he wants to say them differently. I think he doesn't want him to say them at all. Uh, Kevin, do we have that clip that starts C4, so let's talk through? Because there's a couple more things in there. So let's talk yeah. okay, Kevin, just for a second yeah. before we get to the issue of Go what's ahead. a woman. Well, I said to you, you're not an expert in race in America, and it's evident from the way you're talking about it. And you should approach it with more humility, mm -hmm. especially as pertains to blacks in America. Mm -hmm. And I also said, you're not an expert in the Supreme Court, mm -hmm. like by a long yeah. shot. And you said, but I'm an expert at selection criteria. That yeah. was your answer. And I said, fine. So instead of angry, like tweet warrior Jordan, you can do an assessment of what has pissed you off about the selection process. But then well, it was it also the strategic issue, because I was also annoyed. I thought, well, Jesus, guys, even by the lights of your own moon, let's say, you screwed up here because it was strategically foolish. You, you hung your candidate out to dry right at the beginning, and that was part of the irritation. Why, why did you not speak up when the last three candidates going through on a short list from multiple conservative think tanks and operation. Like, everybody knows the short, short list that's being considered by Trump. That's cut the field immensely. What about Trump? What about Trump? How come you didn't speak out on Trump? How come? How come? This is just whataboutism. And I'm sorry, but 
Is Greg Hurwitz normally this snotty to people that he considers his friends? That is just condescending liberal snottiness. He says, you're not an expert on race in America, and it's evident from the way you're talking about it. Excuse me, sir. Well, excuse me. <laughs> Are you an expert on race in America, Hurwitz? <coughs> excuse me. That's not the tone that a friend takes, even a critical friend. Believe me, I've gotten a lot of criticism and some of it's come from my friends and some of it's been deserved. That's not the, that's not the tone that a critical friend takes. That doesn't indicate friendship. Second, it's nonsense. You know, well, you didn't consider this and you didn't consider this and you're not an expert on the Supreme Court. This is what I call the liberal nuance trick. That you're not an expert. It's much more complicated. There are multiple layers. There's a tapestry of rich and deep variegated meaning, blah, blah, blah. You've all heard it before. You don't have to be an expert to comment on any of these things. There's no law that says you have to be an expert. And the kind of experts out there today basically got their expert license from a crackerjack box. So, you know, you can miss me with the suggestion of experts. Same with fact checkers. Greg's not an expert on these things either. Yet he feels perfectly justified in having his own opinion and speaking on it. He, he just doesn't want Jordan to speak what he speaks. That's what's really going on here, I think. I guess I'll just say it. Psst, I don't think Greg is in good faith. Why didn't you comment on the other justices that went through this process? Because we're not talking about that right now. Stop it. That's nonsense. It's whataboutism, and he's, I know he would say no, and he'd say no vociferously, but again, I read for implication. I read between the lines, not just what's on the surface, and I believe that he is, in fact, meaning to imply that Jordan is a racist because he was only moved to talk about a black justice, but it wouldn't even have occurred to him if it was not a black justice. That's what I think Greg means to imply. Um... So we did uh, we did the clip with the the foolish racists. Um, I think I didn't get this into the clip, and I should have. There was a moment during that exchange where Greg got what appeared to me to be genuinely, I mean, not not off the handle, but angry uh, because Jordan Peterson said a not nice thing in his view about a black Supreme Court justice, and he he kind of spits out, "She deserves your respect." Excuse me? Who do you think you are, Greg? And who do you think you're talking to? Nobody deserves anyone else's respect. They can earn it. People deserve basic civility. I believe all people, with the obvious exceptions that you're not going to be civil to someone who's coming up and trying to murder you, all people deserve basic civility. But people don't deserve respect. She deserves your respect. Why? She's a black woman. And I'm a liberal. No, she can earn the respect. Stop it, Greg. Liberals think they can demand respect, and they do demand it. Greg demanded it of Jordan. No, no one deserves it. And I'll give respect when it's earned, period, despite finger-wagging from people like this. He also said, Greg, you blithely trotted in and contrib contributed to the denigration in a way that if I didn't know, I'd think was a racial slur. 
This is just plain manipulation, Greg. He's playing the typical liberal game of, that's not a good look. You know, it's not a good look. Like, if I didn't know you, I'd think you're really bad. I really would. If I didn't know you, I'd think you're a bad. <laughs> no. That's an implied threat. I don't think Jordan picked up on it. I did. That is an implied threat from Greg. You know, Jordan, awfully nice reputation you got there. Be a shame if anything happened to it. There are other portions of this exchange where Greg Hurwitz tries to tell Jordan Peterson that he, Jordan, personally hurt a vulnerable young woman. Numi Yu, the obese model on the cover of Sports Illustrated with Jordan's not beautiful tweet. It's a typical way of taking away responsibility for the model's own participation in this campaign, which was an obvious provocation, obvious provocation by Sports Illustrated and by her. She's a 25-year-old woman, not a little girl, Greg. And he's acting like it's Jordan Peterson's moral duty to feel personal, one-to-one -one personal concern for Numi Yu and to see her only as a victim and not as a participant. I've talked about this when I talked about the Sports Illustrated cover. All the screaming from people, you heard a vulnerable young woman. You heard a vulnerable young woman. <coughs> what vulnerable young woman? 25-year-old woman on the cover of one of the most famous magazines in the world. You heard her. Piss off, you clucking mother hens. But I think my biggest disappointment in this, and I didn't clip this for you, but I'm telling you the truth, and of course you can watch the whole thing, and you should watch the whole thing, see if you agree or disagree with my analysis. My biggest disappointment with Jordan Peterson is he let Greg roll him. And here's how he let him roll him. Jordan Peterson actually started referring to Elliot Page, a fictional person named Elliot Page. We know who this is. This is a woman named Ellen Page who now calls herself trans. And he used male pronouns for Elliot Page. Referred to Elliot Page the man and used male pronouns. Jordan, Dr. Peterson, you told lies because you were in a room of people who had you intimidated and people that you think are friends. You told a lie. You told the very lie that you promised you would not tell and that you so correctly publicly commented on when you started talking about Canada's Bill C-16 that would have criminalized failing to use people's preferred pronouns. That, to me, does not sound like the man that I think you really are. It sounds like someone who was afraid, who felt cornered and afraid. And I can understand that if that's the case. And I don't, I actually don't mean to be too, it's just sort of ridiculous because Jordan Peterson's never going to see this. He's never going to know who I am. But, but I don't, I don't have malice toward him. And, and if, if I were able to speak to him, I would try to speak to him this way. I, I actually mean what I'm saying without rancor. Um, so I think he made some really big mistakes here. Um, and I'm only watching it from the outside. I don't know the relationship between these people. But from my point of view, I don't see 
And I'm not referring to Jonathan Pajot. He had much less to say during this. I'm referring to Greg Hurwitz. I don't see someone that I would consider a friend if I were in Jordan's position. I see somebody who looks to me like a liberal hall monitor posing as a friend. I see someone who's willing to use emotional manipulation, um, a little bit of histrionics. He's willing to play on Jordan Peterson's personal compassion, which is quite evident. He's willing to do this to get him to stop saying things candidly and clearly because it makes Greg uncomfortable because it makes Greg's friends uncomfortable, Greg's liberal friends. I don't think he wants Jordan Peterson to be a better Jordan Peterson. I don't think he wants him to be effective. I think Greg Hurwitz wants to co-opt Jordan Peterson. Now, on the larger issue of social media and its tendency to bring out our narcissistic and caustic behavior, they're all right. They're all absolutely correct. That is true of social media. It makes us into the worst versions of ourselves. And by design, it foments narcissism and it foments reactivity. I am an easy target for that. I am never, I've never been as unreasonable and caustic in real life as I have been on Twitter and social media. I've said many things I'm not proud of. And I've aimed bile at people who did not deserve it. And I regret that I did those things. Um, it's a good thing I'm not there anymore because it's not good for me and I'm not good for anybody when I'm on there. All that's true. What's also true is that not all aggressive confrontation, not all assertive and bald statements made in public are, quote, inappropriate. When the entire media and the entire cultural landscape allows flagrant lying, blackmail, organized deplatforming campaigns, coordinated efforts by leftists to run conservatives out of a job for objecting to child abuse. Frankly, it's rich for a smug man like Greg Hurwitz to accuse Jordan Peterson of being denigrating or appearing to be a racist or to be acting in a demeaning manner. I don't think Jordan Peterson's tone has been inappropriate at all. In fact, the very things he's apologizing for in this video are the things that I've been waiting to hear him say the way he said it. I've been waiting not only for the content, but I've been waiting for the tone. The spitting contempt. Yes, I believe the spitting contempt is appropriate. We are not in a cultural dispute or argument. We are not in an etiquette disagreement. We are not having impassioned debates on public policy. That's not what's happening. We are in a war, a cultural war. Yes, I mean war. This is a combat zone. We are way past diplomacy. We are in war. And when someone like Greg Hurwitz wants to turn a Jordan Peterson into a Neville Chamberlain, it should be easy to see that this is just another act of war disguised as a peace offering. I've said this before, but it needs to be said again. The left wants you to beat your swords into plowshares while they sharpen their own. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to do it, and I'm not going to lay my weapons down. You might, but I'm not going to join you. See you next week.